Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. If you remember last week, we started this series um, over the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And it's only four chapters long. It's not a very long book in the Bible. It takes you just even 30 minutes if you want to read the whole book, all four chapters. But what we decided to do starting this series is that we all are going to read the entire chapter. Today is chapter two. We're going to read that together. And chapter two is about 30 verses but I think it's okay for us to just spend a little time as a church family read, to read these scriptures together. Amen? So if you would, here at Houston, there at Friendswood, would you please stand with me? And I, I just invite you to read along with me this, uh, these verses from Philippians chapter 2. And we're reading from the New King James Version. These scriptures will be online. But let's just read it out loud together. You ready? All right, let's go. Therefore, I'm sorry, you know what I did? I don't have verse 1 in my notes. So I'm going to turn around real quick, get verse 1, and then I'm going to turn around and pick up with verse 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not for only his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, 
holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ and that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Verse 17, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Can we give a hand clap of thanks for the word of God? Amen, amen. You may be seated. This series that we're in and the point of this entire letter that Paul wrote is about joy. About having joy and about choosing joy. How many of you know that joy is a choice? It's a choice. Our pastor last week, he talked to us about the difference between happiness and joy. And if you missed that message, you can go back on our Facebook page or on our YouTube page, any social media platform, just search Life Church HTX, and you'll be able to find that message there. But I encourage you, if you did miss last week, go back, take a listen. Pastor talked about the difference between happiness and joy, and that happiness is dependent on external circumstances, right? Happiness depends on the things that are happening around you. Happiness depends on the things that we have. And don't you know that the things that happen around us are not always great? And so if you're dependent on what's going on around you to be happy, you're going to be disappointed a whole lot. The difference is that joy is about what's going on inside of you. Pastor pointed this out last week. Paul wrote this letter, and so much of it, he talks about his own joy, and he wrote it while he was sitting in prison. I've heard descriptions about the type of cell or the type of dungeon that Paul was imprisoned in, and it wasn't a normal cell like you and I might think of it. He didn't have his own private 
toilet. He didn't have a bed. Not that that's nice, but the, the place where Paul was kept was literally a hole in the ground. It was a hole in the ground with a rope that would be lowered by the Roman guards anytime they needed to get Paul out. And very often when it would rain heavily in the area, he was in Rome, when it would rain heavily there in Rome and the streets would flood with water, Paul's hole would begin to fill up with water. And it wasn't just rainwater that it would fill up with. It would fill up with the sewage of all of Rome and the surrounding areas would come in and the Roman soldiers would let the rope down. Paul would tie it around his waist and they'd raise him up just so he barely had enough room to breathe, but he would be literally floating in sewage. This is the man that's writing about joy. His external circumstances told him there's nothing that he should be joyful about, but there was something going on in the inside of Paul. There was something going on in his spirit that caused him to have joy despite what was happening to him and around him. How many of you want that kind of joy? How many of you sometimes feel like you're up to your neck in junk, if you will, and you, you want this kind of joy that Paul seemed to have? The truth is we have to fight for that kind of joy. We have to fight to have that kind of joy because the world is crazy. It's bonkers out there. There's war going on right now in, in Russia and in Ukraine. And even here in the United States, uh, there's inflation. The economy is, is crazy and, and the gas prices are soaring. And of course, we're dealing with, we're coming out of, still kind of dealing with the effects of this global pandemic. There is political turmoil, not just in the United States, there's political turmoil all over the globe. I was recently listening to a sociologist and expert talk about just the political state of, of America. And he's talking about how right now we have left and right, we have Democrats, we have Republicans, but even that, what we've known for so many years the, the, the fundamental ideas and the fundamental beliefs within each of these parties is being changed so drastically that, that he's saying in the next decade or two, our children, our children's children, the political landscape is going to look completely different than what it looks like right now. Right now, the world is just crazy. And there's so many changes. And there's so many unknowns. There's so many things that seem so volatile. There's so many things that seem so dangerous. And there's so many things that could cause us fear and anxiety and worry. Anybody a worrier like me? Anybody you just get something in your mind and it's like your mind immediately goes to whatever the situation is, your mind's like, well, whatever the worst possible outcome is, that's what's going to happen. So you might as well just dwell on the absolutely worst outcome that could ever happen that you could ever imagine because that's what's going to happen. And that causes a lot of anxiety, right? How different would it be? If somehow, and this is not human nature, but anytime we were dealing with something unknown, we just assumed that the best thing was going to happen. That'd be exhilarating, wouldn't it? But that's not our human nature. Our minds immediately go to the worst possible scenario. Let's go back and read Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, the way that Paul starts this, this chapter out. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being in 
accord, of one mind. Now remember, he's writing to a church. He's really the pastor of this church. Paul started this church in Philippi. He was the one that traveled to Philippi, found believers, trained them, taught them, established this church. And at the time that he's writing this letter, it's been about 10 years since he started this church. He loves this church dearly, and he is appealing to them. Have the same kind of love. Be of one accord with each other. Be of one mind. Paul is really saying, my joy is going to be complete when you have joy. He's telling that church in Philippi, but he's also telling us today. My joy will be complete when you have joy. And as Paul continues in this chapter, he gives us some warnings. He gives that church in Philippi some warnings of how they would lose their joy. Last week, Pastor taught us the difference between happiness and joy and how joy is a choice and we have to just make up our minds and, and, and get close to God because you can't do this alone. You can't do this by yourself. This is not power of positive thinking. This is power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you that enables you to choose joy because ultimately your joy is not what's happening around us in this world. Your joy is in Christ who we're going to live with in eternity. But let's look at what Paul says about how we could lose our joy. What are the joy killers that Paul tells us about? How to destroy your joy. He goes on in verse 3. This is what he says. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Everybody say selfish ambition. Everybody say conceit. Let nothing be done. Nothing. Say nothing. I think when Paul said nothing, he meant nothing. Nothing as, as a father. Nothing as a mother. Nothing as a friend. Nothing as an employee. Nothing as a believer. Nothing as a saint in a church. Nothing going on in your mind. None of your motives. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but what? In lowliness of mind. Let each other esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Really what Paul is teaching here and what Paul is really leaning into here, this is, this is a big part of spiritual maturity. Maybe, maybe you're new to faith, or maybe you're not new to faith, and, and you feel a little bit stunted on your spiritual growth. Maybe you're just feeling like you're in a point where you're, you're stuck. You're, you're not seeing any more uh, growth spiritually. You're not, you're not seeing the ways that God is challenging you or calling you. This is what Paul would say to you. Don't, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem others better than himself. Look out for not only your interests, but also the interests of others. Because as soon as you start making your life about other people, and not just yourself, that's when God can really work through you and work in you. So Paul's giving us a warning. He's giving us a warning, but he's also giving us a challenge for spiritual maturity that the joy killers, the things that will destroy our joy, is first this, if we're living to impress others. Paul says, if you're doing everything out of selfish ambition, if you're, if you're living for me, myself, and I, and, and if you're doing things just to promote yourself, you're going to kill your joy. If your life is all about you, you're going to kill your joy. 
If your thoughts are constantly revolving around you and how you can make your name great and how you can become more popular and how you can impress other people, it will kill your joy. The other joy killer, the other thing that would destroy your joy that Paul talks about is if we live for the applause of others. Isn't that kind of what our culture wants right now? Where's the main place that we see these two things? Where's the main platform that we see trying to impress others, trying to get the applause of others? We see it in the form of likes, social media, right? There's no denying the impact that social media has had on our world today. How many people and how many young people get caught up trying to portray themselves in a way that would impress others? or that would gain the applause, the likes, the shares, the notoriety from others. If we live for the applause of others, this is what that means, that you're, you have a need for attention. You have a need for attention when things are good. You want everybody to know how awesome your life is. And then when things are bad for you, you work up a good cry, have some tears, and Instagram Live, <laughs> my life is so terrible. Or you overshare on a Facebook post, talking to somebody, wanting the attention of other people coming in, telling you it's going to be okay. Your sense of joy and happiness comes from applause of others or feeling like you're impressing others. It's a need for affirmation. And listen, I need affirmation. I, that, that is the kind of person I am. My wife will tell you. I don't know if anybody else is familiar with, with the love languages or whatever, Mine is words of affirmation. But I'll tell you, the, the words of affirmation that I need come from my wife. And the way that I stay away from the joy killers is by not caring what anybody else says or thinks other than my wife. Because the moment I start entertaining that affirmation from other people, the moment I start entertaining the affirmation from other men or other women, what I'm doing is I'm opening this door in my mind that's, that's disregarding the joy I have in Christ, but it's feeding itself, needing those words of affirmation from other people. And I think it's healthy to have that kind of relationship where you look to your spouse to be the one that affirms you, the one that tells you good job, the one that tells you maybe the things that you could do better. And I would say the healthy, the healthy approach to that is, is that relationship right there. That's the most important one. Of course, family as well. But you have to be careful where you're seeking affirmation from. And that's where social media can become so dangerous because it can be so easy to start getting that affirmation from other people, people you might not even know. There's need for praise. Anybody, any Office fans? Anybody watch The Office? Friends would? Anybody watch The Office? It's okay. We, it's all right. Listen up a little bit. Anybody watch The Office? I love that show. I feel like they're all my personal friends. I don't even have to watch if their voices are around. I'm just like, oh, these are my buddies, Dwight and, and Michael and Jim. Michael Scott. I'm going to quote Michael Scott. If that offends you, I'm sorry. We can talk after service. Michael Scott, he says, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked, but it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. 
Social media feeds that kind of mentality. A need to be praised. And you know what social media is. It's just a highlight reel, right? I do it too. You go on my social media, it's all the highlights of these beautiful pics of me and my family and all all the highlights of church and ministry. That's all you're seeing when you go to somebody's page is their highlight reel. But what happens when you start looking at those highlight reels? You start comparing yourself. That comparison comes in. Nobody is exempt from this. Even as a pastor, even as a minister, you know what happens on Sundays when I see all my friends posting pictures about what's happening at their church and what's going on at their church? Comparison. Oh, and you have to keep it in check. You actually have to destroy it, that spirit of comparison. Because if you let that spirit of comparison in, you're going to start living to impress others, and you're going to start living for the applause of others. And what are those things? Joy killers. I'm going to lean into this social media thing just a little bit more. I think it's easy for us to talk about social media and for us to think of the younger generation, the TikTok generation, all of that, and think, well, some, somebody's got to help these people figure out that, that life is not TikTok and life is... Listen, we're all spending too much time on social media. We're all spending too much time on Facebook. We're all spending too much time reading pointless comments on videos that we have nothing to do with. It's fake and counterfeit. Those are not real relationships. In fact, what you're seeing is kind of the worst of humanity. There's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of living to impress. And there was a study done by California State University. This was a few years ago. And when they started studying this, it was as social media was kind of kind of coming out and becoming more popular around our culture. But I think it's safe to say that as they were studying this and they noticed these trends that were starting, that was a few years ago, I think now these trends would be relevant and prevalent in our culture. It's this. The first thing they found as a result of or a stem from social media is a preoccupation with self. Is what they were noticing is people that were getting heavily involved with social media became preoccupied with themselves. Less aware of others, less aware of what's going on in the world around them, and more occupied with themselves, their image, the way they were perceived. The second thing that they observed is that social media brought about this sense of being above the rules. That that might be what you think is right, but that's not what I think is right. That might be your truth, that's not my truth. It brought about an inability to take criticism That's very obvious in the comments section, isn't it? You you cannot disagree on social media. And you also can't win someone over to your point of view. I'm going to save you a lot of time. You are never going to win someone over to your side of the aisle by arguing on Facebook. It led to a refusal to take responsibility. Unilateral listening. You know, unilateral listening is just listening enough so that you can respond. Listening enough, not because you care what someone else is saying. You're just getting enough information from what they're saying so that you can respond with your own thoughts. Not really caring what the other person is saying, caring more about what you have to say. Ultimately, what they studied and realized was that people were becoming quicker to anger. Quicker, I mean, how, how quickly someone can be canceled. How quickly a fight can start. 
This was their conclusion. I'm quoting them now. This was their conclusion. We are a nation of narcissists. Intense self-focus. Now, the truth is, social media sped that up, helped that. That's human nature. Social media is not the boogeyman here. It's our sinful human nature that social media is highlighting these things. Now, Paul says, I've warned you. Here's, here's what you should do to combat that. Here's what you should do to combat your selfish ambition and your conceit and that desire to impress others and that desire to live for the applause of others. If you want to overcome those things, if you want to defeat those things, this is what you should do. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus, God, made himself of no reputation. The most powerful man that has ever and will ever walk the earth made himself of no reputation taking the form of a servant. And he came in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Isn't it amazing? that Jesus came and made himself the lowest and he was exalted to the greatest. Therefore, God has also exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now what the Bible teaches is that regardless of what's going on in our world right now, there is coming a day when Christ returns where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. Amen. Amen. Paul says, if you want to overcome the joy killers, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, who was God, but he made himself a servant. What Paul is really saying is humble yourself. Humble yourself. You want to overcome joy killers? Humble yourself. When you start breathing in, all those comments and all those likes and all those words of affirmation that might be coming from someone that you shouldn't be listening to, when you decide to breathe all that in, that, all, that feels good. That sounds good, these things that they're saying about me. I really like the way they're bragging on me. Get rid of it. Humble yourself. What does it mean to humble yourself? What did Jesus do? He served people. He gave of himself to people. He deferred to people. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Isn't it amazing to know that it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross? 
Because don't you know in a moment he could have called angels and he could have commanded the men around him to bow. He could have destroyed his enemies. It wasn't the nails holding him on the cross. It was joy. That doesn't make sense. But this is what Hebrews is telling us, that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the pain and the shame of the cross. You want to know what the joy set before him was? It was you and I. That was the joy. It was the joy of knowing that as he stood in our place and as he hung on that cross and took our sin, the joy was that on the other side of it, he could have a relationship with you and I. The joy was that he could save us from that punishment. That's what kept Jesus on the cross. And this is the key to joyful living. This is what Paul is teaching us in Philippians chapter 2. The key to joyful living is to develop a servant's heart. Develop a servant's heart. You want to know how you can have joy in the middle of situations that are crazy? How you can be like Paul and everything around you is going terribly. You are in a terrible situation with your health, with your finances, with your family, and somehow you have joy. The way you develop that kind of joy is to develop a servant's heart. I'm not just going to say that because it sounds nice. I'm going to give you some practical steps. We're going to look in Scripture and see the practical ways that Paul talks about developing a servant's heart, this heart work. The first one, and of the three I'm about to give you, it's got to start here. It's got to start with this. If you want to develop a servant's heart, if you want to develop this kind of joy, if you want to have this kind of joy deep in your spirit, the very first thing, the foundation of all of that is this. Go all in with God. Everybody say all in. All in. Not halfway. Not just on Sundays. Not just in small group. Go all in with God. Let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, Paul loved this church. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying, you need to take this very, very seriously. It's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, reading this scripture where Paul says, work out your own salvation, I don't want you to think what he's saying is that you have to work to earn your salvation. When we study the the original Greek language here, when Paul says work out, it's a Greek word, it's a verb, it's the same word that would be used to describe someone who is working in a gold mine where they're working out the gold in the mine. So, so, so what Paul is really saying is, hey, don't stop in this, in this salvation journey that you're in as you're, as you're working out your salvation, meaning as you continue to find the depths that God has for you in this life that he's called you to, as you continue to find those gems, as you continue to work out and unearth that gold that God has for you, hey, don't be satisfied with just the bare minimum. Don't be satisfied just standing around unearthed gems. Don't be satisfied just standing around some gold that's underneath some dirt that you need to work out. Don't be satisfied. Instead, work it out with fear and trembling. What he's saying is go all in. 
We do not get to a point in our faith and in our walk with Jesus. We don't get to a point where we can finally sit back and take it easy. You know who taught me that lesson more than anybody else? My father is teaching me that lesson as he continues to live his life. But my grandfather, my grandfather, Bishop Kilgore, who pastored this church, started pastoring in 1957, started pastoring this church. Before that, evangelized, pastored a church in Paris, Texas, devoted his whole life. Until the day he died, he was serving people. He was giving of himself. He was going all in. Go all in with God. And I just feel to lean into this a little bit more. And I'm going to say some hard things. Is that okay? Can I say some hard things to you guys? And know that they're set out of love. I think a lot of times, and I'll use myself as an example to make it less awkward. Sometimes those of us who have grown up in church or even had a loose affiliation with church, our perception of church is it's, it's a bunch of rules. The religious term is legalistic, right? Where you, you, you think church is all about following a list of rules and some churches are very strict. Some churches have a lot of extra biblical rules that you have to follow if you're going to be a member. And maybe you grew up in a church like that with a whole lot of rules that made it impossible for you to have a genuine relationship with God, that it was a stumbling block for you. And what we want to do here at Life Church is not put anything on you that's extra biblical, that's not in the Bible. We don't want to be legalistic. But I think a lot of times we can find ourselves in this place where we like the freedom. And I don't mean the freedom that we find in Christ, the freedom from sin. We like the fact that we can get as close to the edge as we want and maybe sometimes every now and then go over the line. And that we know we're part of a church where no one's going to come and yell at you up and down and tell you all the ways you're living wrong and this is wrong with you. I can't believe you did that and publicly shame you. I think a lot of times we enjoy the liberty we have. And it's not the liberty we have in Christ. It's the liberty that we know we can do some questionable things. And we know that we're involved in some things that are sinful, but I'm just enjoying it right now in this season. That's not going all in with God. It's not going all in with God when you live in sin knowingly. Nobody is perfect. Every single one of us sin. Every day we have wicked thoughts. Every day we say things and do things we wish we wouldn't. The difference is having a repentant heart that says, man, this way of thinking that I've been caught up with or this way of living that I've been involved with, I know that's sinful. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from that. That's one thing. The other thing is justifying it by saying, it's okay if I keep doing this. I know God loves me. He's going to forgive me. What you're doing is you're actively living in something that will destroy your life. You're taking the freedom that Christ has given us and you're staying in your mess. It doesn't make sense. And that kind of lifestyle does not lead to joy. Halfway in with God does not lead to joy. Halfway out of sin does not lead to joy. 
What leads to joy is going all in with God. Amen. God has to be your source. God has to be your source. It can't be your relationship. It can't be your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It can't be the things you like to do on the weekend with your friends. It can't be your hobbies. It can't be your job. It can't even be your family. Your source has to be God. That seems like a good motive, right? Living everything you do for your family, everything you do for your wife, everything you do for your kids. God wants you to have high esteem and high regard and do things for your family. But if God is not your source, it's going to lead to you becoming burnt out, resentful, tired, angry, lack of joy. God has to be your source. This conference that we were at uh, in West Monroe, the, one of the speakers is the founder of the organization. His name is Dr. Phil Brassfield. Dr. Phil is affectionately what we call him. He's an amazing man. And he preached a message on Thursday night that was so powerful. And he talked about the power of saying no. You know, growing up in church, for those of you that are familiar with church, so often we get in this mindset and this prayer where we want revival and we're asking God to send revival and where we're asking God to send anointing. And if you're not familiar with words like that, really it's just asking God to move in us, to work through us, to bless us, to bring lost people to be saved. And he says, if you're wanting that, then there are some things that God is going to say no to. If you want that, there are some things that you need to say no to. And he talked about how God will anoint your no. What what does he mean by that? That there are some things in your life that you need to say no to. That if you want to go all in with God, if you want to see everything that God has for you, there are some things that God is saying no to that you also need to say no to. And it's not necessarily sin. It's distractions like social media and entertainment and busyness. One of the greatest things that a family can do for their children, that a spouses can do for each other, is develop a good routine and discipline for your household because that allows you to be intentional with what you do with your time. If things are out of control in your life, you're not going to be able to say no to things. You're going to be putting out fires as they come up. But if you're intentional with how your house is ran and, and, and the discipline you have with your time, you're going to start seeing the ways that you can say no to some things so that you can say yes to God, so that you can say yes to spending more time in the Word. Right now, you feel like you don't have any time. Right now, you feel like you just don't have time to dive in and read the Bible as a family. Right now, you feel like you just don't really have the time to join a small group because life is busy and kids are crazy and we got travel ball, and we got this extracurricular thing, where if God is saying to you, if you would just say no to some things, if you would go all in and say no to some things in your life, I will anoint that no. I will, I will come in alongside that no that you're saying, and I will move in your life, and I will move in your family, and I will bring you joy unspeakable. So first is go all in with God. That's how we develop a servant's heart. We have to go all in with God. The second thing is this. We have to take a genuine interest in others. Everybody say genuine. 
a genuine interest in others. Why? We've all heard the cliche, actions are louder than words, right? Your actions speak louder in someone's life than your words do. Showing someone you love them means more than telling someone you love them. And, and I would just say this, I know in my, in my generation and the younger generation that so many things are falling to the wayside because authenticity matters. They're trying to find the person. They're trying to find the institution that appears to be the most authentic. And that's why it's important for all the believers in the house. That's why it's important for you and I as believers to live authentically. Not to put on a religious facade like we've got everything together, like we're perfect, but instead just to be real and authentic and say, yes, I struggle with things. I struggle with this, I struggle with that, but I lean on Jesus. He gives me peace, he gives me hope. We have to take a genuine interest in others. Philippians 2, 19 through 21, Paul says, but I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. And Timothy is a young man. Paul was not married, Paul did not have any children, but he often refers to Timothy as his son. He loved Timothy. Paul was like a spiritual father to Timothy. In fact, in your New Testament, you're going to find some letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And it's part of Scripture that you and I have. It's part of Holy Scripture now. He's saying, I'm going to send Timothy. I'm in prison. I'm locked up in prison right now, but I'm going to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Timothy's going to go and visit you, and he's going to tell me all about the good things that you're doing, and I'm going to be encouraged. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. He's saying, There's, it's only Timothy. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So Paul highlights something in Timothy that, he's, that he says later in Scripture in verse 21 that he hasn't found in others. That there are others out there that are seeking their own. They're not really seeking Christ, but he highlights what's different about Timothy, and that is that Timothy has genuine concern and interest for people and for the people that Paul loves. This word genuine, having a genuine interest, genuine just means that it has the value that is claimed. If I have a genuine love for someone, I have a genuine love for my wife, and I tell her how much I love her. You know what I tell my wife so often is, I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for you because I think of what my life was like before God brought Lauren into my life. And I'll, I'll tell her how much I love her and how thankful I am for her and how miserable I'd be without her. And what I'm doing is telling her my genuine affection towards her. And I hope that I can also follow that up with my actions. Because if I was just telling her, if I was just telling her, and I wasn't doing things that showed my love for her, that's not genuine. Paul is saying to care for people with your actions like the way that you say you do with your words. And here's how this can be simplified so much. I know a lot of times it can seem like such a big thing to serve people because there's so many organizations and there's so many ways out there you can be involved, actively serving the community. You know how you can start if you just start in your sphere of influence. Two very easy spheres of influence where you can start serving people and developing the servant's heart is your family and the place that you occupy in your job, uh, 
Maybe you're involved still in school. Maybe you're a student. That's your sphere. That's a place. Maybe you have a, wherever you work, maybe you are involved with city projects or whatever. Whatever sphere you're in, whatever circle of influence you have, that's where you can start. The most important one is starting with your family. And I realize that not everyone in here is married. Not everyone in here has children. For those of you maybe that are young adults, you're in school, you're in college, start with your sphere of friends. But the the most basic and most important, the first place we should start is with our family. There's a quote by Mother Teresa. She says, spread love everywhere you go, first of all, in your own house. Fathers, are you spreading love in your house or do people get tense when you come home? Mothers, are you spreading love in your house or are your children scared to open up to you? I'm not talking about having healthy discipline and healthy structure. I'm asking you if you are spreading love in your house. Are you adopting this type of heart that Paul is talking about in the most basic, important place possible in your own family and in your own house? This is an easy question you can, you can ask. Where is there a need? Where does my wife have a need? Where does my husband have a need? Where are my children having needs? Where is my friend having a need? Where is my boss having a need? Where is my employee having a need? Just, just look, ask, where is the need? Start looking, where are the needs in my sphere of influence? Who is in need in my sphere of influence? And when you find the need, meet the need. When you find someone that's in need in your sphere of influence, don't be so self-absorbed that you're not willing to meet their need. You want to develop a servant's heart? You want to be able to have the kind of joy that's not dependent on the world? Find the need in your sphere of influence and meet the need. And when you start doing that, and when you start living for others instead of yourself, isn't it crazy how when you stop paying so much attention to yourself, and you start focusing on others, your problems just get smaller and smaller and smaller. Right? I I promise you that's what will happen. I promise you that when 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 you step back and you're not so consumed with yourself and you start living for other people, those problems that are so big in your mind that are weighing on you, they get smaller and smaller. The third thing is this. So we go all in for God. We take genuine interest in others and we live a life of intentional relationships. Everybody say intentional. Live a life of intentional relationships. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 25, Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. I love Paul so often will just shout people out. People with crazy names like Epaphroditus. Nobody name your kid that, please. We'll just call him E if you do that, all right? If you look in Paul's letters, he's constantly shouting people out. He's constantly thanking people. What we see in our Holy Scripture is the Apostle Paul thanking people for things like, thanks for bringing me my coat. He's shouting people out. He's showing a genuine interest in people. Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and he was your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. This must have been a man that the church in Philippi sent to Paul to check on him while he was in prison. 
to protect our hearts, we need intentional, healthy, God-centered relationships. This is something that just occurred to me as I read this scripture to you and as I, as I talked about this. There's a part in Old Testament scripture where it talks about the high priest of Israel having something over his chest. As he would do ministry, he would have this like tablet over his chest. And on the tablet were written the names of the tribes of Israel. And I think what God was showing, in the, and you'd study the way that God commanded for the high priest to adorn himself and all the things he had to wear. God wanted to make sure that over the high priest's heart were the people that he was supposed to care for the most. The people he was supposed to minister to. You know what you and I need over our hearts? Some really healthy, godly, Christ-centered relationships. Not dysfunctional friendships, not manipulative relationships, not abusive relationships. What we need over our hearts to protect our hearts is intentional, healthy, God-centered relationships. This is why you need a small group. Men, this is why you should go right now to life.cc, look at the events page, find the next time that our men are getting together for a Bible study or for an event, and find some men in this church that you can be friends with, that you can be accountable with, that are going to challenge you and encourage you and pray for you and walk this journey with you. Because I know you're like me. I know you got some knucklehead friends. I know you got some knucklehead friends that if you're just hanging out with them all the time, they're going to be pulling you to do some things that are not healthy for you. They're going to be pulling you to do some things, to look at some things, to say some things, to take some things, to go to some places that are not growing you closer to God. So what you need is to find the men in this church. Friends, what you need to do is find the people around you in this body of believers. Don't you know that's why we're here? We're not here just to sit on opposite parts of the auditorium with each other. We're not here just to sit at different campuses and never know each other. We're supposed to be a body, a church, a community of believers that are doing life together. One of the benefits of being in church is finding people to walk with you, finding people that are going the same direction as you. So you can get in a small group. You can go to life.cc slash growth track explore all the things that God has for you in this church and join a team. You know what the most amazing thing is about being on the team? Yeah, you might think, oh, if I'm on the team, I gotta be here early, right? You know our worship team, they get here like 8 a.m. Isn't that crazy? They're volunteers. Who would get to church two hours early? I'm more of like a 15 minute after church starts kind of person, slip in with my coffee. Who would want to get there early? You know what the most amazing thing is about being on the team? Is getting some friends. Is getting connected to the body of Christ. Maybe that's your next step. Becoming involved. Meeting people. Getting the right relationships around you. Here's the promise that we see from Paul. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Man, I'm guilty of complaining. I am a complainer. I am. God help me. Do all things without complaining and disputing 
that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. This is the promise that if we go all in with God, if we look for ways to serve people, if we have genuine interest in people, if we look for ways to serve the needs around us, the promise is that we're going to shine. If we make ourselves the lowest, if we humble ourselves, there's going to be something about us that people will look at and say there's something different about them. And the thing that's different about them is not that they can quote this many scriptures and it's not that they can explain all the mysteries of the Bible. The thing that's different about them is that right now I'm really stressed out about the gas prices and they're not. The thing that's different about them is that I know they have cancer, but they have a lot of joy. The thing that's different about them is I just heard my boss cuss them out, and yet they came in here and asked me how I was doing. Something different about this person. I can't really put my finger on it, but it just seems like no matter what comes their way, they have joy. I wish I could be like that. Because I got this problem and I got that problem and I've got all kinds of problems. I want to be like this person who no matter what comes their way, they're shining. When you take on a servant's heart, you will shine. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. Bring yourself low. Bring yourself low to a low place where you don't think so highly of yourself, where you're not consumed with what people think about you. Because if you do that, it says, God may exalt you in due time. Humble ourselves and God exalts us. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? I hope it's blessed you just to read the word of God. So go scripture by scripture and, and kind of soak in what Paul is teaching about joy, what he's teaching about life, what he's teaching about humility. I hope it's blessed you, but this is what I know, that there's probably somebody that's come in this place and you're feeling a lot of conflict. Things aren't going very smoothly for you right now. Maybe you're even recognizing that you have been the person living for the applause. Maybe during this last 45 minutes or however long I've been preaching, I know it's too long, I'm sorry. Maybe you have realized that you have been caring a little too much about what other people think about you. And you've been living with a mask on, the mask that you think is going to impress others. But under that mask is a lot of brokenness. Under that mask is a lot of pain. Under that mask is a lot of shame. I'd like to invite our prayer team to come this morning. And what I would invite you to do, all of us at Friendswood, prayer team can take their spots there. If you're feeling a lack of joy and you're recognizing some broken places in your life, you're recognizing a mask you've been wearing, today's the opportunity to take the mask off. Today's the opportunity to find one of these prayer team partners who have been trained and they're ready and you can trust them. You, these people can be trusted where you come up and you talk about some of those issues and you talk about some of that pain and you confess some things in your life with them. 
That's what the Bible says to do. Confess our sins to each other and we will be healed. Allow us to pray over you this morning so that you can leave those things behind. Some of you might just need that extra encouragement. There's no judgment in this place. There's no judgment in Friendswood. There's no judgment in stepping out and saying, I need help. There's no judgment in saying, I've got to get prayer. I need to, I need to give my life to Jesus. So in just a moment, our band's going to lead us. And I invite you, take this opportunity to find a prayer team partner. To talk about the ways you're lacking joy. Talk about the ways that you need the joy of the Lord in your life. Would you let me pray for you? And as soon as I pray, I'll hand it back over to Pastor Tito. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy. And we thank you that you bring joy unspeakable. Jesus, you tell us in your word that when we're in this world, when we're living this life, we're going to have problems. You told us that. You didn't shy away from that, Lord. You told us. You were honest with us. You told us we were going to face problems. And you told us to take heart. You told us to be courageous because you have overcome this world. Right now, we might just be living in the remnants and the shadows of, of sin and shame and problems, but ultimately in you, we have victory. Ultimately in you, we can have joy because we know whatever we might bump into in this life, that on the other side is eternity with you in victory and peace and love and joy and healing and health. Help us to have that kind of joy. And it's not easy, Lord. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need you. We need your spirit living within us. That spirit, the Holy Spirit that is quick to remind us, don't worry about the problems of today. Your joy is in the Lord. Somebody needs to be reminded of that today. Holy Spirit, remind us that our joy does not come from the circumstances of this temporary fleeting world. Our joy comes from knowing you. Our joy comes from knowing that one day we will spend eternity with you. For those that need prayer today, maybe they need healing in their body, maybe they need restoration and something going on in their life and their relationships, maybe they just need to confess. Maybe they just need somebody to partner with them in a, in a desperate situation. I pray that you would give them boldness in this moment to step out, to find a prayer partner, and to seek you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.